As I record this podcast introduction, my book, I've Got Something to Say, is now about two months old. I'll admit it right here that before its release, I was terribly nervous, more nervous than I usually am when our band puts something out like a new studio album. Releasing an album of music is exciting, the anticipation sometimes overwhelming, but I can sit in that world with relative ease. Critical slings be damned. If somebody doesn't like our album, I feel no sting. Anyone dissatisfied with our efforts, I simply conclude, has terrible taste in music and move on unfazed. But with this book, I felt a nervousness that I hadn't felt before. I felt completely vulnerable, more exposed than I ever had before. I still do. Some of the essays contained within its pages were my complete full ideas, thoughts, and feelings unfiltered. To criticize any of it was more a direct punch in the gut than any criticism of a song of our band. So as more and more copies were distributed for analysis and overview, the more anxious I got. I took solace in the fact that the book wasn't some pretentious ivory tower look at rock music, but rather a light-hearted kind of love letter to the music that has held me in its sway my entire life. But surprisingly, no defensive stance has been necessary since its release this past June because, to my surprise, most have understood its sentiment. You can't believe how happy this has made me. I can't take all the credit. Another reason for the positive reception has been the collaborations contained in its pages. Taking a cue from Harvey Pekar and American Splendor Comics, teaming up with notable illustrators to help bring some of the articles to life, yielded many feathers in my old cap. I've already posted podcasts with Brian Walsby of Manchild Comics, who illustrated the book's cover, Richard Comley of Comley Comics and inventor of Captain Canuck, Canada's greatest superhero, greater than Wolverine, Gary Dumb from American Splendor, Valiant himself, singer of Valiant Thor, Fiona Smith of Somnambulance, and Juan Montoya, a.k.a. Montoya Black Magic. And this episode here, I present two more illustrators from the I've Got Something to Say book. Gary Texali and Mary Fleener. First up is Gary Texali. Now, since I'm pairing up illustrators together in separate chats, each episode is essentially two podcasts in one. Because of that, I have little time to delve into each's history, especially when it comes to Gary Texali, so wide and deep is his CV. But one can't mention Gary without saying he's exhibited in galleries around the world. The Whitney Museum of American Art in New York City, the Jonathan Levine Gallery, the Antonio Colombo Gallery in Milan, and the Andy Warhol Museum, to name a few. Gary's art has been seen in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, GQ, Esquire, The New Yorker, Rolling Stone, Newsweek, and he's been featured on the CBC National, The Globe and Mail, Fashion Television, and Much Music. And he was nominated for a Grammy in 2009 in the Best Art Package category for his work with singer Amy Mann. He's won countless illustration awards, released a children's book called This is Silly, two books of his artwork released in 2001, Mono Taxali and I Love You, Okay? And last year, Gary published his new book, Happiness with a Caveat. Not to mention in 2012, the Royal Canadian Mint released a special edition of six 25-cent coins featuring Gary's artwork. Not too shabby. He's appeared on this podcast before and finally returns. Listen to episode number 25 from back in July of 2012. In my book, I've Got Something to Say, Gary's illustration accompanies an article I wrote called I Hate Tomatoes, which is all about my aversion to tomatoes on hamburgers, an opinion Gary and I share. So check out my chat with Gary here. He's an old friend, someone I've known for about 25 years now. Afterwards, this episode continues on with the one and only Mary Fleener, someone I am a huge fan of, so please keep on listening. Thanks to Skull Candy Headphones, and thanks to Blue Mic Microphones, even though I am actually out on the road and I'm using another means to record this, another microphone. Um, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify now, too. Uh, you can leave a rating or review on iTunes. Please do if you can. Subscribe to it on iTunes if you can. Um, okay, well, let's start the podcast. This is the official Danko Jones podcast with Gary Taxali, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Lennon, get his Danko's crew 
gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts now. Hey, man. Hey. Gary, how you doing? I'm not bad. Yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And um, it's kind of odd that we're in the same city and we're talking on Skype. I've, I've done this a few times. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm used to it, but uh, it's not totally weird. <laughs> I, I think it would be very awkward if I lived across the street from you. And we were on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> or or like in the old days, uh, you were across the hall. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we were. Uh, we Two band, a band ago, one band ago, <laughs> I, had a, I had a practice space right across from you. Right. Um, but, but here we are. You know, another thing is like Toronto traffic now has become a nightmare. So... If I can't walk to a place or or take a subway to a place, then uh, Skype is definitely a, a happy alternative. I hear you on that. But we've we're talking today because uh, what I've been doing is gathering all the illustrators who contributed to my new book. I've got something to say, and uh, you know, uploading these podcasts. I'm going to pair uh, illustrators together. So just quick chats with everybody involved, um, just to let everybody know that a the book's out there, and also it's the book is you know my articles, but beyond that. It, it was several collaborations and everybody who collaborated with me, who was, who, who uh, illustrated, helped illustrate uh, the book were people who are directly connected to me in one way or another. Some of the illustrators are in bands like Valiant himself, Juan Montoya, Damien Abraham, Erie Vaughn, uh, Michel Langevin, but other people are connected to me personally and you are Probably the the one illustrator of the bunch that a I've known the longest. We've known each other for twenty five years. Yeah, uh, yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When were the nineties? <laughs> those nineties. Those nineties. They seem like sixty. Like when I was growing up, the sixties. But the nineties. Yeah, um, we've known each other since the nineties. So you and I go back. Initially, what I wanted to do was have illustrators who 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 I collaborated, collaborated with be in bands. I wanted it to be a band only thing. And then I realized, A, there's not too many people in bands who illustrate enough to, to do this, but also I have other connections, you know, uh, that go beyond just simply that. And, uh, not only are we, we've been friends for, I can say decades now, but you, you know, through music, we have a connection. You're a, you're a humongous music fan, music nerd on your own, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of, you know, me being involved or anything. You, you, you've turned me on to a bunch of bands over the years. Absolutely. I think, uh, it, it's a really, uh, uh, there's a common thread between, you know, the, the two art forms you can say, uh, I can't draw or paint without music playing. And I know like from my perspective, uh, for me, it's it's a source of joy because I don't do it, so I don't analyze it in the same kind of way or live it the same kind of way like you would. And at the same time, I imagine that's the same way you look at art. Like it's a, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It is exactly that. I, I'm not going deep into it. I just look at the illustration. I go, wow, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But also with your connection with music. Um, it's not just, you know, generally speaking, you listen to music when you work. It's very specific kinds of music. Like what one thing I notice is you go very deep with garage punk rock music, a lot of crypt, you know, a lot of cramps, a lot of Billy Childish, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a it's yeah, it's it's just something that I, I mean, I, I, I guess it was kind of a my first foray into like anything off like the mainstream when i was uh in high school and i just always kind of revert back to that kind of i guess you know style of music and 
it's a it's it's a it's my safe happy place <laughs> and can you say is it safe to say that you know the music reverberating back and forth in the walls of your your workspace have had an effect on your your work i mean you know there's a definite pop culture sensibility to everything you do and you know, music is a direct, the pop, you know, pop, like, I mean, the garage punk that you do, uh, that you listen to is all, you know, a part of that. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm getting at? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can look at, especially uh, when it comes to, like, uh, exhibitions where there's a, a body of work for uh, you know, maybe something under a theme for, for a show. And I could tell you exactly what I was listening to, what tracks I was listening to. Um, a lot of the stuff I do for like for concepts, um, it's a lot of like Mississippi, like you know Delta blues. But when it comes to like painting, for some reason, I guess when I've sorted out the ideas and stuff, then I go to kind of like you know the the heavier punk garage stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess maybe like it, it does sort of like frame like kind of like how the mark making uh, happens, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a really cool thing. I, mean, I, I couldn't even tell you what was going on that week in my life, but I could tell you what I was listening to. Do you remember that period when, when the illustration that you, 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 uh, um, did for the book, uh, was going on? What, what kind of stuff you were into? Oh yeah. I was Danko Jones B-sides like on repeat, like the entire time, and, like uh, loud. And it just, it, it just makes kind of things happen. It's like, okay, so this is, you know, I'm I'm illustrating a uh, an opinion from Danko Jones, and so I go straight to the music and just blast it, and that actually kind of like helped me like frame certain you know uh, aspects of the of the picture, like you know maybe you know like the mark making and just sort of like you know the little guitar pick pointing that one direction, like kind of like off to the stage or something, right? Like it's kind of like get out, like no way to the tomato. Uh, (laughs) you know the thing is you said it's my opinion piece but i think we share the same opinion when it comes to tomatoes on hamburgers which is which is what you illustrated right absolutely (laughs) i I think we actually ended up uh speaking about it once and then you wrote about it yes good it's out there in the world (laughs) and and you know i mean this really needs to stop danko i i i don't uh, I don't understand. I think uh, people just uh, – I don't think anybody really enjoys the taste of a tomato and a burger. I think they just kind of go with it because there's too many I- issues in, in life to tackle. Yes. And, but I think when somebody really gets down to it, it's it, 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 it's a, it's an abolishment. Yeah. I mean it's – you know, you kind of – you, you, you kind of said it in, a, in an off, offhanded way. It is a first world problem. But still, I mean come on. It's, you know, when you're faced with it, it, everything becomes, you know, you hyper focus on things eventually. You know, so. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, it, I mean, it, it needs to stop. The other day, you know, I saw this thing and I don't know, it was on social media. Somebody had, or like a chef or somebody figured out a way to take like, um, to like, like ketchup and turn it into like a, like a solid form to put on like your burger so your burger would fall apart i guess it's also like the you know this uh um substitute for because you can get that flavor profile but it, but it wouldn't fall all over the place and i thought like you know ketchup is fine you know that people need to have like self-control with the amount of ketchup they're putting on there but you know and i was just waiting for somebody to, to do that with a tomato like you know you can't mess with things and try and make it better all, all you need to do is eat a burger and and just keep it simple and not mess with it. If you you know what? I don't even mind like, you know, I love tomatoes. Put it on the side. Yeah. Eat it as, eat as, as, as an accompaniment. Yeah. Don't stick it in the thing. It's a great substitute for fries, I mean, in these health conscious times. <laughs> exactly. You can even slice up like the tomato slices into fry like substitutes. <laughs> but I like that we can I mean I'd prefer to just talk about this for 25 minutes. <laughs> but um so this is this is really, you know, going through this process and I'm I'm just so uh glad and lucky that I have this platform to kind of promote the book in my own way through the podcast. Um 
but going through this process was the first time. It's the first time for me. It's my first book. But for you, you have put out many, not only many books, but in many kinds of books with different uh, companies and in different ways. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I noticed coming from the music world into the book world was it takes a long ass time and I had no idea. So, so, um, what is, what is your experience? You've, you've, I, am I correct to say four books at this point? Um, well, there's a kid's book and there's a, there's about three like monographs of my work. Yes. Um, and, and then there's a, like, uh, you know, a lot of other books like Tashin books and things where I've like contributed, um, uh, you know, pages and interviews and things. Uh, it is a lot of work. Uh, when, when I, when I did my, my first, uh, two monographs. I had a publisher, so all I had to I had the easy part because they did all the heavy lifting with the editing and so forth. But with my last little book, um, Happiness with a Caveat, it is a smaller book, but I did the whole thing myself, and uh, it took a while. And yeah, it is a lot of work, but uh, I think it's uh, it's worth you know in the end when you hold it and you just smell that print, it's it's a uh, and you have like that physical object, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. I, even though we live in the digital world of, you know, iPads and Kindles and EPUBs, it, yeah, nothing can replace that, you know, the, the actual object of a book and holding it in your hand is, I can, I can only imagine your books are way thicker than mine. There's, it's, there's some sort of satisfaction. And does the satisfaction grow with the thickness of the books? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this book is thinner, I think. Yeah, uh, this one, the last one was thinner, but <laughs> the, the other two were pretty thick. And then This Is Silly was big. If it wasn't thick, it was, it was, it was big you know what i mean like almost a coffee table book well i mean i make my living at the stuff so i'm going to say the satisfaction grows with the the amount of book sales right (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) now uh okay so so with your monographs i mean this is already uh i'm gonna assume that a lot of it if not most of it was you know work that was already completed and it's a matter of putting it together um, there's text involved, but <clears throat> with most of it being, you know, illustrations, uh, you say, of course it was a lot of work, but, um, wouldn't it be like just the layout is the layout, the, the, you know, the layout design, is that where all the work comes in or was it also going through all the work and picking it out? Like what made it like a, a, a monumental piece of work? Like what made it a lot of a like hard work. Am I fra- am I phrasing yeah, this question right? It, you are, you are. It, it definitely was the layout. Uh, also, what to choose on the cover and the back cover. In in this last book I did, I didn't have any introductions. I didn't have any um, uh, like essays from people like I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Like uh, people uh, mostly in the arts, but they're also. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, I had uh, Amy Mann uh, write something. Well, my publisher asked her to write something because her and I worked together uh, on on some album stuff. But in my last book, I just had uh, three quotes from people. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an art director who does book jacket design named Chip Kid. Um, he was happy to to lend a quote. Amazing artist uh, named Gary Panter lives in New York, uh, as well as a. a uh, uh, this guy, uh, uh, Daniel Seifert, who's the publisher of one of my favorite art magazines, uh, called high fructose. So it was just a matter of asking them, Hey, you guys, can I have, you know, just a quote. And, and I sent them like PDFs of the book so they would get a vibe of it. But yeah, the hard work was just kind of piecing it together. And it wasn't really about, um, the individual pieces as it was the whole thing, because with a book, uh, I think the sum is greater than the parts and it's how the whole thing kind of like lives together. So there was a lot of uh, editing and, and, and pulling out things that I actually liked, but just didn't work with the flow. Um, so in that sense, it was a lot of back and forth. And 
I think like the best thing for you know for these kinds of things is is to sleep on stuff. So I'd put something together and just like leave it be for like a day or two, then come back to it and look at it with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. Uh, instead of getting like married to a to a way of uh, working, I also had the help of like uh, my studio manager who would you know, you know contribute uh, ideas to and. And it's always good to get like other opinions as well as my girlfriend who helped a lot. Uh, Jessica helped uh, basically pick the cover. It was um, uh, it was really nice to um, have that kind of uh, um, impartial uh, perspective rather than oh this is what I want the thing to look like. So in that sense, it was kind of a little bit of a group effort. When you say that this last book, uh, um, Happiness with a Caveat, it w- was. Was was that self, you said it was self published? Yeah, so I, uh, um, I I printed the whole thing myself, and um, I've been sending it out to um, various bookstores. Mm-hmm. So it is uh, available actually mostly in the United States. Uh, I think there's a few places in Toronto that sell them. I haven't really checked. Uh, I'm still in the process of um, of getting it out there a bit, but. Uh, Right now, it's uh, it's mostly just available through my uh, online shop. And GaryTaxali.com. Uh, correct. And and uh, now that you've gone through the process, is this something you're going to continue, the self-publishing? And really, you're, you were, you know, aside from, you know, the help that you got from, from uh, friends and coworkers, I mean, are you going to continue this kind of one-man book imprint? I think so because um, I uh, I like the control aspect of it. Uh, I li- you know I also like the uh, the fact that uh, <laughs> I mean you can actually make a, some okay money doing things yourself because I mean when you're working with publishers, there's so many uh, people that need to get paid that when it comes down to to the artist or the author. Uh, you get this percentage, you know, and, and usually it's, it, it, it's never really anything that, you, you know, you can uh, say was a financial success. It's more of just kind of, it feels like almost like an honorarium, even I think with successful books, um, mm-hmm. when you do self publish, uh, it's great. And, you know, these days too, there's so many amazing printers out there uh, in Toronto, there's great printers and, um, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I would definitely keep doing this. So you laid this out yourself. Like, you yeah. Were, and did you lay out the other ones, like the previous books yourself? Or was that through the book company? Uh, the other ones, I, I worked with a, a designer that uh, Tenoy's paired me up with. Tenoy's is based in Germany. They're kind of like uh, a Tashin a little bit. But um, Tashin has more of, I think, an international reach than uh, Tenoy's does. Tenoy's does have um, offices in New York, and uh, they've uh, published a lot of uh, books of um, uh, contemporary artists. So in that case, uh, I work with a designer, but I, you know, I kind of told him what the vibe I wanted for the book was, and he just sort of went with it. He was also a really good designer, so it was a lot of hands-off stuff. So he was just showing me really great things. Um, and then with my other book, Mono Texali. Uh, um, that was with an Italian publisher, and the Italian publisher, oh man, it, it, the printing in, in Italy is so good. They, it's I think it's the best in the world. The books that they put out are, are phenomenal, beautiful uh, laid pages. But but that guy did them as um, almost like plates in a way, so mm-hmm. it showed uh, my artwork in its entirety. And it, like in my other books, I like to crop things and just make things really dense and like just you know visual overload. So he did the entire thing. He's a designer, uh, uh, Franco. So having gone through, you know, putting out your books with other people and having other layout designers in the past, doing this latest one on your own was the layout part you know, the biggest task to, you know, to handle it on your own or, or had you already like picked up and learned what you needed to going through it, you know, three times previous? It was the biggest task because, uh, 
you know, I, I, I kind of kept changing my mind. Like, do you know, do I want to make the book, uh, more of a square format? Do I want it, you know, uh, like larger? Do I want it smaller just in terms of dimensions and also like the, uh, the amount of pages in the book too. So, um, I, what I did was I just, uh, I mean, I had like, you know, certain rules and, when I, when I did my first two books, which, by the way, came out at the same time. Yeah, but I remember it, that. Yeah. But there was no crossover of images. So I wanted to let people know that, you know, <laughs> here's my stuff in one book, and here's a bunch of stuff in another book, and they're not the same. So this book had to follow suit. I couldn't have anything, uh, you know, that, of, of course, was, was in those books. But at the same time, I wanted to have things that were more current and not go back to my archives uh, like I did in the first two books where it was more of like a longer chunk of time. Uh, this was more like, this is what I've been up to in the last couple of years kind of thing. And, and this is what, and, and I'm going to assume that you're going to keep doing this as periods of time go, you mark them with self-published books like this. Yeah. Um, I don't have any plans as yet. Uh, I may get approached by a publisher, uh, to, to do a book and I might just, you know, uh, go in that direction. And, uh, but, uh, otherwise I might, and I may also in the future, um, I think I would like to do more thematic things. One of the things I thought was to put out a book of just sketches. So it's no final pictures, just like my ideas and just pages and pages of just drawings, um, which I thought would be kind of a fun thing to do. Well, spending a train ride with you once for, I think it was like a four hour train ride, you just sat there with a pad and a marker and you came up with all these interesting, wild, wacky sketches. That's, <laughs> that was quite, you know, I just see that as being something very realistic and very personal from you. That would be amazing. Yeah, I think uh, it, it would be a nice thing to do. Maybe I'll work on that for later this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and, and you are also, um, one of the things I'm, I'm very proud of is that the 12 illustrators who, um, participated in the in my book, six of them were Canadian. Um, and one of them being, uh, uh, uh I guess a, a colleague of yours that you, uh, kind of gave me her contact, Fiona Smith, um, ended up doing, uh, some, some work for the book as well, which I'm very happy and proud that she, she participated in it and she, she was awesome too. Um, and I just think that this is a great way to have, you know, people from different worlds kind of come together, um, in, in a way that, you know, was unexpected. And it was just nice to know that you guys from Gar- you to Gary Dumb to Damien Abraham to Erie Vaughn are now connected in some weird, <laughs> bizarre way. You guys are all connected. So it's really nice to have all you guys. And I, I keep I keep saying this with everybody I'm speaking to is that um, I'm very proud of of everybody who participate, like to be aligned with and associated with everybody who participated in this project. It's a, it's a, it, I'm very proud that, you know, you're proud that you have a book, but then extra because there's all these other names that, you know, I'm connected with that I'm, I'm so happy to, to, to be aligned with. So it, it's nice to have you on board for this. And I mean, well, yeah. So much for saying that. I, I feel the exact same way. And, and and I love it when when music and art come together. It's it, it it's it's one of my favorite things, Danko. And thank you so much for, um, uh, you know, for 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 putting this book out and, and having that kind of um, awareness to like see how like you know different art forms can kind of like in a way advance the music. I think that like you know, uh, it's. It, I think the, the you know from what I've seen of of the book, it looks like your music. It and, and and I think there's a really nice alignment with all that. You know, it's great. But it's it's so nice to uh, to chat with you uh, about your art and my book and our coming together in a way. We did a we did a collaboration piece a long time ago. Yes. So this is kind of the second collab. Yeah, it was a. Uh, um, for for a piece I had in a, in a gallery show, 
And and and, and I remember at the opening, uh, I was uh, telling people like, hey, you know that the, that part of the drawing and that part. I'm like, Danko Jones drew that. People like what? And I'm like, yeah. And, it, and it, it, I think it was a lot of fun. I thought so too. It's it's I, I love it, man. So it's yeah. it's nice. And you know, and at, at my place here, you know, a lot of your artwork hangs on the walls. So you're always in my face every <laughs> single day. <laughs> so it's nice to open up the book and have it continue. So uh, it's thank great. you, and also sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. no. uh, great. It's great. I, I think I phrased it in a way where I. I I wanted an apology from you, but no, not, not at all. <laughs> My tone, I feel. Um, but uh, anyways, Gary, thanks a lot for doing this. And um, thank you. Thanks a lot. This has been awesome. My pleasure, Daco. Uh, we'll talk. We'll chat soon. Thanks, man. And that was my chat with Gary Texali. Again, Gary illustrated the article in the book called I Hate Tomatoes. And if you don't agree that tomatoes shouldn't be on hamburgers, I suggest you read the article. I also have a signature hamburger at the 2112 restaurant in Gothenburg called the Wildcat Burger. It's got mustard, lettuce, mayo, pickles, caramelized onions, and, of course, no tomatoes. Now, with I've Got Something to Say being a collaborative effort, beyond it being a collection of essays I'd written for various rock magazines... I kept the choice of artists to those I knew who played in bands and who drew. But that was a very, very short list that came to an end too abruptly, too short to fulfill the amount of articles I wanted illustrated. So I started to expand the perimeter and asked illustrators who were not only friends of mine, but had a strong connection to music, more specifically rock and roll music. When I asked Fiona Smith, podcast guest from episode number 177, she was someone who I'd met at a rock show easily 25 years ago through her partner Craig Daniels, member of the legendary garage rock duo, The Leather Uppers. But I got Fiona's contact from Gary Taxali, who was another person I became friends with largely through the music, and easily the first person I thought of when I decided to ask bonafide professional illustrators. But once I got Gary and Fiona on board and received their fantastic illustrations, excitement got the best of me and it spurred on my boldness. So I took a chance, reaching out to two people I was a huge fan of but had no connection or even contact for. I simply retrieved an email address via the internet and blindly sent an email out into the ether to Gary Dumm and Mary Fleener, like a message in a bottle. When I got not just a reply from both, but a warm, receptive response, I started to get super excited knowing this book was starting to represent me beyond the articles, rather through other people who had moved me through their artwork. Mary Fleener's terrific autobiographical Slutburger comic was one of my absolute favorites. It was easily the wildest comic book on the racks whenever I'd visit Beguiling Comics in Toronto back in the early 90s. This was back before the internet, when we were all starving for anything bizarre, anything weird, anything off the beaten path in any art stream, be it film, music, books, or comic books. I discovered Fleener the same time I discovered Picar, Chester Brown, Daniel Klaus, and Peter Bagg. Fleener stuck out to me due to her self-described cubismo-styled artwork. I had never seen anything like it, and I never have to this day. It's like the images one sees when you close your eyes after looking directly at the sun or when you get punched in the face under the influence of Mad Magazine, Robert Crumb, Family Circus, and Marmaduke. If you've never seen Mary Fleener's work, does that ignite your curiosities now? When I received Mary's illustrations in my inbox for an article I wrote called I'm Sick of Seeing Your Disgusting Feet, I was delighted. These were exactly the images I was picturing in my head. When consuming Mary Fleener artwork, you have to go through it a few times. A casual glance does not do Mary's artwork justice. One time to take it in and look at the wonderful images, then a second time to read the content, and then a required few more times, half reading and mainly marveling at her illustrations. Mary has kept supremely busy with her cartoon series, The Less You Know, The Better You Feel, 
her contributions to the Complete Women's Comics Omnibus, Hotwire, Mineshaft, We Told You So. But it is 2019 that we'll see the release of her new graphic novel called Billy the Bee, and I can't wait for that one. I've yet to meet Mary in person, but here we meet for the first time through Skype. I hope you enjoy this. This is with the one and only Mary Fleener. I'm so happy to have Mary be part of my book, and my chat with her here was like a victory lap. Enjoy. Mary Fleener is the next guest on the official Danko Jones podcast. Hello. Mary. Yeah, wow. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> is this your first Skype call? Yes, it is. You're broken my Skype cherry. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to hear great. your voice. It's really good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's fun. It, yeah, it's good to meet you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I feel like I know you because I've seen you play. I watched your Santa at Grass Pop. Mm. And uh, that must have been a good gig, or was it? Yeah, Grass Pop is a great festival. Um, they really take care of, of the bands and the, the, the lineups are always stellar and the crowd's really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a great festival. One of my favorites. Yeah, well, the guy was really smart because I read something on the internet how there there are all these family friendly things where you can take kids, but there wasn't a festival for like serious rock and roll people. You know, you can say whatever you want on stage and act any way you want, and have to not worry about triggering somebody. And it's a great idea because it's a huge success, from what I understand. And I like the fact that they have different stages for the death metal and the the guys that go, you know, the exorcist voice guys, and then just <laughs> traditional, you know, rock and roll like you. Mm. And uh, anyway, it must have been, a, uh, looked like it was a great event, man. The Europeans and the Canadians just do everything better than America. There's just no, there's no argument. You know what I mean? If the Canadians support their artists, their musicians, all the cartoonists I know get help. And um, down here, it's, it's uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a tougher slog down there, I know. The reason for having you on is, is really, first of all, to thank you for, for being part of this book project with me. Um, and what you sent me was phenomenal. It was exactly what I was thinking in my head when I, when I was like trying to reach out to you. And I should, I should mention, reaching out to you and also Gary Dumb. Because there's 12 illustrators who took part in this project with me, in this book. You and Gary Dumb especially were almost a goof. It was like almost a dare to see if you guys would even respond to me. Um, I, just, I just held you guys, you two guys in such high regard. Like I didn't have any connection with you guys other than being a fan of your work. Because all the other illustrators are in bands or there's a connection with rock and roll that I'm immediately connected with. So I was just a fan of Gary's work and a fan of your work for so long. I mean, I've had Life of the Party sitting on my bookshelf for years. I had the Slutburger issues and you were I was such an admirer of your work. And I think it was I was telling Gary, I think there was some good piece of good news one day regarding the book while I was still making it that I got so inspired. And so I, I, I just mustered up enough nerve and courage. And I said, you know what? Why don't I just see if like, you know, Mary Fleener and Gary Dumb will, will go for this now that I have some kind of wind, you know, behind me. And holy smokes, when you email me back, I, could, I couldn't believe that this could happen. Well, you know, there's there's a real uh, crossover of comics and people that are music fanatics. I mean, really, I uh, uh, in the 80s and 90s when everybody was trading cassette tapes, for example, I would it wouldn't be uncommon for me to get maybe six or eight of them in the mail from another cartoonist of all this, you know, weird ass rockabilly stuff I'd have never heard of. Uh, I consider myself pretty pretty well-educated in blues and jazz, and, and I hear stuff I, you know, never heard of. 
And people who are cartoonists, they take their music really seriously. Gary Dom, um, am I pronouncing that right? Dom? I, yeah. I first saw his stuff in Harvey Picard's comics, and I've never met him, actually. He's one of the few people I haven't met. And Harvey, as you know, he used to uh, write for Downbeat. And um, and and it's just a... Uh, it, it was just a natural fit, and then I you probably didn't even know that I was a musician either, did you? No, not not at all. I think you 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 did have a couple of panels in some Slutburger issues where you mentioned playing in a band or playing a club or or at least going to shows. Oh yeah, I have that story about trying to buy strings, and they were giving me all the shit about using round wounds instead of flat wounds on my bass. And I'm um, sorry, but. Round lounge, I like them better, you know, and, and you, it, it was horrible in the 70s. I mean, there were only three bands in L.A. in 1979 that had girl bass players. One of them was a band called the Dogs from L.A., the Alley Cats, and then there was me. And it, it, it was it was, uh, it was uh, pretty slim pickings up there in L.A. But anyway, um, uh, it, it was great to, I, I mean, I do like working with writers, it's always fun. In fact, I, I did a story that Hart Car wrote for the Beatnik book that came out from Hill and Wang, the Beats, a graphic memoir, uh, right before he died. So I was glad to finally work with, with Harvey, too. But anyway, I was really, when I got your email, I, it, it was like an instant yes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a big deal, you know, when, when you said yes to the project and you were on board. I, I don't know, I, I felt like, wow, this thing could really be something where... You know, I was already into it, but like, wow, like having the names like Mary Fleener, Gary Dumb, to me, just as a big, big fan of you guys, it, it meant a lot. And then I don't know, like I had no idea where your art had taken you to this point because my my only familiar, what I was familiar was Slutburger. And so, you know, sometimes artists move on and they don't, you know, they, they oh, I'm not doing that anymore. So I didn't know what you'd give me, but what you gave me was like what was in my head when I would think of Mary Fleener. So, oh, so great. And and the story that that you illustrated and thank God you were on board for that, too. <laughs> um, well, yeah. well, I lived in Vancouver uh, when I was a kid. I was there from age nine to 16. And I, I remember the feet when the sun would come out because it was the same thing there because it rains 200 inches a year. Yeah. And then, and your feet are always wet and your clothes are always wet. We moved there from West Covina, West Covina, California. So it was a big change for me. And, but I remember in the summer, oh my God, people, would, it, would, it would get like maybe 65 and everybody, all of a sudden everyone's naked, getting sunburned. With these, you know, there's, you know, there weren't many flip flops back in the '60s, but there's sandals and the feet. And I totally related to that story because everybody's feet were like gross. <laughs> <laughs> Not down here. See here in Encinitas, everybody gets petties and manies, and toes are sexy, and everybody paints them in all these different colors, and nobody wears shoes. So everybody, you see feet all the time, but they're really nice looking feet. Okay. Not a. Not up where it snows and rains all year. So that's, I totally related to that story because they are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, waiting for you, waiting for your artwork to hit my inbox, you know, and, and you were, knowing you were doing that article about like, I'm sick and tired of seeing your disgusting feet. Um, I was just picturing like, you know, those those crazy comic panel illustrations you had in in Slutburger where it would just be this wild surreal uh image of like you know someone screaming but like screaming with five different faces and 10 different eyes and uh, and oh man it was just so great when i got when i got it when i saw it amazing well that's cool well you know the reason i do that cubism stuff or i call it cubismo is i'm trying to get uh, movement and energy and action and you know that's really hard to do when you're you know working in 2D and mm -hmm. uh, there was a group of painters called the Futurists from Italy and they used to superimpose images and um, and it, it's a really neat technique because it really it, it, it just it, uh, you can use it for somebody if they're angry or if they're happy or they're you know um on acid or, uh, you know, 
well, anything. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I was going to say sex, and but that certainly too. And uh, no, actually, uh, what was really neat about comics that it got me into illustration, and then I started doing a lot of illustrations for music magazines like Musician and Guitar Player and Goldmine, and it just was right up my alley. And uh, you know, being a musician and being in bands and understanding what it's like to you know do that for a living and which i did in the 70s for two and a half years i played music for my you know pay my bills and uh, every friday saturday and sunday nine to two in the morning so uh uh it'd be funny i'd be like uh working for guitar player and they'd want me to do something like uh, you know guitars for some band and i'd say well what do they play they play fenders or you know gibsons or what well, I don't know, just draw a guitar, and I go, uh-uh, uh-uh, you don't know these people. Because <laughs> I, I worked at a music store, too, and bam, man, when people start talking about equipment, it's like it's like people talking about politics. I mean, everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of acts are you playing these days? I was wondering what that guitar was you were uh, I'm, I, I play an SG, a Gibson SG. Um, All right. yeah, just an American standard SG. It's, it's kind of, you know, the pickups, we've swapped it out, you know, they're not the factory pickups, but other than that, it's, you know, pretty much what you see. And then yep. I, I play, uh, orange amplifiers. All right. So yeah, that's, you know, I like to keep it pretty simple and bass and not too many pedals. I just use an overdrive pedal by khdk and and away we go yeah my husband hates pedals hey you know how big my amplifier is it's a phil a phil jones and it weighs 13 pounds it's a 100 watt amp 13 pounds and we run it through our pa so but man what a what a what a, a joy to be able to move equipment when you can just lift it you know without oh. killing your back. and and so you're active in music now so so Tell me about tell me about your band that you're in. Well, I'm I'm in a band that I can't quit because I married the guitar player, and uh, <laughs> so we met back in the '70s. And uh, of course, we we got together. Because he, he was the only guy that would jam with me, and then we uh, got married. And we've just always played music. We've always had a band, and uh, we've kind of. Uh, gone a more acoustic direction uh because of the you know i was a little worried about my hearing i got a little bit of tinnitus a few years ago but that went away but we played in every bar around here and uh um my whole thing is like writing originals and playing rock and roll my husband plays guitar he was in a band called the imperial dogs in the 70s so he was from the real real hard rock roots and um and uh, uh uh, we have, you know, we have a little garage with our, all our equipment out there. We got our little jam cave. And we play about once a week with a a guy that Paul worked with who's trying to learn drums. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. I'm working on a graphic novel. I've been working on it for a year and a half. So when I get that out of my hair, then we probably will think about gigging again. So you say that you guys do originals. So what do you do with the originals? Are you are you releasing it? Are you releasing it out into the world? No, not right now. Uh, when we were really, we had a band called the Wig Titans, and we were really playing a lot. But that was before, just a little bit before YouTube, a little bit before Facebook, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we really are. Uh, we really didn't get into that promoting the music thing. And then I, uh, the band broke up, and I got back into comics. So we really haven't. Uh, we, it's something. We, it's something we're going to think about. Uh, but we've made a couple of CDs, you know, like anybody else. And uh, they're sitting out in a shed in boxes, all 600 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Every band has those boxes. You, oh, God, you can't yeah. you can't call yourself a band if you don't have boxes and boxes of of backstock. And flyers. I'm looking at a, uh, like an 18 inch pile of flyers because my whole thing was when we did a gig, you know, I had to draw the flyer. I mean, it's just traditional, you right, know. And, right. and and I look. That's almost my favorite part of, of doing a gig is doing the flyer and then going around town with the, you know, with your uh, staple gun and putting them on posts and everything. And right. People collect them. 
Oh, and, that's uh, so cool. Yeah, it's fun. And it, it, music is something that I, I, uh, the reason I love music so much is so immediate and it, it's so different from art. Art, you've got to labor over and you've got to, you know, do, uh, like, like do working on your strip, for example, you know, you've got to rough it out in a little notebook, then you cut out your paper and then you have to pencil everything and then you've got to get the lettering. And when you get to the inking, it's almost like, you know, anticlimactic. I mean, it's, it's a really incredibly long process. God, with music, you just put on a guitar, somebody goes, you know, key of A, and you, you've written a song in five minutes. Yeah, it's true. And I was spoiled with that process for, you know, being in a band for so many years. Having this book come out, I was shocked as to oh, how, yeah. how long it took. It's like insanely long in the book world. Yeah, remember I told you? and uh, But I think it was worth the wait because Feral House is perfect for you. They've got a reputation of doing real kick-ass stuff. I drew the story for you in 2016, wasn't it? Wasn't the deadline uh, April or May or something? Yes. So the, the saga of the book went from, you know, being, you know, we I, I had all intents and purposes of just putting it out myself. And then, you know, much like how I got you and Gary involved, you know, I saw a little bit of interest from Feral House. They liked one of my tweets. So I just sent them the, 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 the book and they said they were into it. They liked it and they wanted to put it out. So I guess the story, the moral of the story is to just like go for it all the time. <laughs> well, right. Well, that's the thing. And I remember my, my dear old mom used to say, all you have to do is ask. All anybody can say is no. Yeah, it's and, so true. You know, and if you don't ask, it's the same thing. Like if you don't tell people who you are, they're not going to ask. So um, I don't know. In in this underground comic world that I'm in, and the crossover into publishing, like Feral, people are real. Uh, they're willing to take chances, and that's why I, I'm like with this book I'm doing. I'm sticking with Fantagraphics, who I've worked with for 25 years, because. Uh, unlike New York uh, publishers, I'm going to keep my copyright. Is, you know, that's a big deal to me. Yeah. And maybe the, yeah. maybe the pay's not so great, but damn it, I can call up Seattle and I can talk to Gary Groth without going through an assistant or some bullshit. And 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 we're friends. And to me, boy, that 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 means everything. That I'd, I'd rather that you know working with uh you know like the Harvey Picard book that he did on the beats. That was just a pain in the neck. It was a pain in the neck, and they were all highfalutin, you know. What well, wouldn't it be just straight Harvey at that point, or was it some other company was overseeing it? Well, it was a uh, it was an imprint of, of uh, a bigger corporation, but the official publisher was Hill and Wang, and they had certain ways of doing things. And Harvey was the writer the editor was a guy named Paul Buell who does a lot of political stuff. So, um, and he didn't really understand that us cartoonists creators rights were a big deal. And, um, he, he's a little, he's a, he's a nice guy, nice enough guy, real with it and everything. But I don't think he really understood a lot of things have changed with cartoonists that were just not worker bees anymore. That, that you know, Right. I mean, you know, I approached you uh, not as a worker bee for this project. I approached you because you were who you are and I'm a fan of your work. So right right away, it was, you know, all your concerns. I really wanted to just like, I wish you were just, you know, right across the street so I could just go up to you and go, Mary, don't worry. Like, everything's cool. Like, I just want to see what you come up with. So. Yeah, yeah, well, you got to be careful and... and- you know, all of us cartoonists like me, we we are, you know, we're like a one-man band. We're our own agent, manager, uh, you know. I I mean, I, I'm i on computer emailing uh, a lot. It's, it's all business. Yeah. Know, really. Uh, I think mostly just creating relationships with people is the most important part of this business. And when, I, when you emailed me, I just sort of, you get, you sort of get a sense about people when they email you and, you can tell they're cool or not. It, it's just, there's something, it's just kind of a thing you learn. 
and I could tell you were a colleague, and plus you played rock and roll. So they <laughs> <laughs> they play rock and roll, they're immediately cool. Well, you you mentioned when you um, were in a band, and then the band disbanded. And you got back into comics. So while you were doing the band, you weren't doing any comics? Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, between uh, 2001 and 2005, we were playing, uh, I would say, two to three times a month. And... And, uh, you know, at it, the you know, local bars, 9 to 2 in the morning. And it takes you, like, three days to recuperate from that shit because yeah. I, can't, I can't sleep in the mornings. As soon as those birds start singing, I'm awake. And that was always a big problem I had when I was – that's always been a big problem. I don't know how people sleep till 2 in the afternoon, quite frankly. I mean, I've got earplugs and shades on the window and aluminum and all that stuff, and it doesn't work. And so it really – yeah, it takes a lot out of you. The practicing, you know, we uh, this guy who was our guitar player would drive down from L.A., so he would, you know, spend the night, so we'd party with him. And then so the next day is you're, you know, walking around in the days. No, you, you really, to do cartooning and to draw, you have to be well-rested and, and, uh, and um, just, uh, just well-rested and not distracted. So, yeah, when I, we were playing a lot, I didn't do much cartooning except for the flyers. <laughs> wow. And, 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 you know, uh, uh, yeah, and, and plus, you know, Paul was working, my husband Paul was working 40 hours a week, so he had to get up, you know, on Monday morning at 4 in the morning. And, and uh, you know, yeah, it could be pretty disruptive. Yeah, I could see and, why. And our drummer, she was working 40 hours a week, and, and so was the guitar player, and and um yeah <laughs> yeah and, wow that makes sense now and in and plus the bar up here that we were playing the lucadia which which is in lucadia was a wild scene i mean it was wild i mean you never know what was going to happen um one night some guy came in looking for trouble and first he went up to my uh, cousin's italian husband and uh tried to pick a fight with him and then he went up to my friend who was gayer than hell and tried to pick a fight with him. And then he went up and tried to pick a fight with our 250-pound black friend with a gold tooth. And I can't, I'll tell you where that ended up. That ended up outside in the parking lot, and then the police came. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd never done this before. I had to stop playing a song in the middle of the song, put my face on the ground, go to the bartender and say, that guy out of here or we're leaving. So... You know, these gigs we were doing, they weren't just, you know, playing music, you know, for fun. It was like honky-tonk, Bill. Like, you could get killed at any moment. <laughs> so, and that's stressful, I must yeah. tell you. And, you know, and, and and plus, when I play, I'm completely sober. Because when you get around a drunk, a lot of drunk people, uh, you better know what's going on. And you got to be real, you, you got you to keep your eyes open. That's so people, true. People are crazy, you know. <laughs> Anyway, um, um, I was wondering how you, uh, Fiona Smythe, she, I've been a big fan of her work for a long time, and she's still living in Toronto or Montreal, or she's up there. Yes, and I, in fact, I just talked to her today. Uh-huh. Yeah, I talked to her about, you know, her contribution to the book and everything, and yep, she's still, she's still doing it. She teaches at um, Ontario College of Art as well, um, and she... According to you know what she told me, she's working on some like a a collection of her work for for May, I believe. So yeah, she's still there. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Peter Daco, which is kind of like your name, and uh, he had a, a zine out. I forget the name of it uh, in the eighties, and that's where I first saw her stuff. Ah, okay, yeah. I met Fiona of uh, Jesus in nineteen ninety, early nineties. And her boyfriend was uh, in this band called the Leather Uppers who, you know, me and a, my friend from high school, we loved them. So we would go see them and every time they would play, Fiona would be there. So that's uh, how. And then I kind of made the connection that Fiona's also this illustrator. 
And, uh, and then every time I'd see Fiona, I just, you know, we'd always say hi. And, and that's how I've known her for years. So coming around doing this book, I really, it, it was great that she's part of it, the, the whole thing, because, you know, um, I wanted to get people who have a connection to me, whether it's personal or whether I'm a fan of their work. So, you know, I've known Fiona for so long and I'm a fan of her work. So it worked great. Well, how about you? You, you know, uh, I know you, you play a lot and gig a lot. Where did you get the time to do all the writing for the Huff Po? Well, that was um, all the writing was was mainly to kill time on the road. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, like it would keep me really busy, and and I really enjoyed it. And uh, there's so much downtime, and as you know, like hurry up and wait time. So I just got bored. Like, you know, it's great. People always ask, oh, have you seen all the sites when you're on tour? And, and yes and no. Like, by the time you've been to the city by the fifth time, like, you don't need to see it again. So now what are you going to do? And I don't drink. And so, and I don't, I don't really, I'm not one of those guys that play guitar two hours every day. So what am I going to do? I don't want to play video games all day. So, you know, you know, so the first opportunity I got where someone was like, you want to write this thing? I grabbed onto it and I got a, I got some, you know, really positive feedback from them. I actually ended up having a column in this magazine called Rock Hard from Germany, which was at the time it was uh, the biggest music magazine in Germany, if not still. So, um, or at least one of the two or three. And uh, that set me set me going. And so anytime I would, you know, talk to somebody at a magazine for an interview of Farrar's, if I could sense that they're, you know, open to me, you know, being a writer on, on their, uh, for their magazine or, or whatever, you know, I would ask. And it got to, sorry, sorry. It got to the point where I had five columns every month and that was just too much. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the thing about, okay, if you're a rock and roller, you've got to have a good sense of humor and you've got to really understand, you know, theater of the absurd. And that's why I've noticed, like you reminded me an awful lot of my friend, uh, Buddy Siegel or Buddy Blue, that was one of the founders of the Beat Farmers. He was a writer. He was a a rock critic and worked for the uh, San Diego Union Tribune. And he had the same sensibility as yours and just sort of this, you know, um, uninhibited, Outrage, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but humorous, you know, and, and, and a real wry sense of humor. So, um, um, I, I, I didn't surprise me that the stuff you sent me was really funny. Oh, and I'm, I'm glad you, you know, there's some people who, who, who didn't like that piece, you know, when we, when I first posted it because they, I don't know. They, yeah. They took offense to it. So I was a bit wary sending it to you, but I'm like, if she likes this, it's going to be a home run. So. Why would anybody find, find what's, what's so offensive about it? They oh. put fetish or something? I, yeah, I don't know. You know, people are fine. You know, they found something to be outraged by it, but which is fine. I mean, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Like you said, it's, it's just couched in humor. I'm not like, so serious about it you know it's just an observation that got turned into an article and and then got illustrated (laughs) but still you know and and that's another thing is like there's there's this that story and a few other ones um throughout the book where it's not about rock and roll it's more about like just things that i obsess about which you know other than music and in a humorous and in very light-hearted way so that was one of the pieces too so, yeah. People do interpret things in a, uh, a number of ways. So, mm-hmm. anyway, well, I, I'm glad I got to draw it. So, yes, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm sure glad you, uh, I'm glad you took a deep breath and emailed me because um, um, I really had a lot of fun working on the story. Well, thank you very much, Mary. And, and uh, right. hopefully we can do this again. That would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. That'd be oh, heck yeah. Yeah, so much fun. Well, thank you, Mary. Um, this has been great talking to you and, and like e-meeting you through Skype. Um, All right. Well, thank you, Dango. It's uh, 
pleasure is all mine. Thanks, Mary. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Do it 